Ina and Aaron. <laughs> Well, hi, everyone. Ashley, from the back, your eyebrows look great today. <clears throat> Very conscious of that type of stuff. Shannon, where are you? Great job. I mean, you do a great job up here. Really cool. If, if I could encourage you, uh, ladies, just for a moment, uh, I know just from personal experience of living with one, I know being a mom is hard. I don't know that through personal experience myself, but if sometimes if you ever wonder like, where's God? When's it going to get easier? Why is it so tough? Where's my husband? Where, I mean, and maybe for some like physically, where's a husband? Why am I single? There's all sorts of tough questions that are, that are being asked probably collectively in this room on a daily basis. And I know, I can know through scripture how much God cares about, A, humans, but then people who are in tough positions in life. But then I get to live with Ashley, and I get to see God's care for your lives by watching how much she cares about this ministry. And that's not to say Ashley's awesome. It's to say I get to see God caring for you. And when the questions remain questions and there aren't a lot of answers, please know that God is actively working because I look at her passion. I look at late nights. I look at another like cringe of like, I gotta, I gotta do mop stuff. Can you take care of everything? You know, like I watch the sacrifice and the intentionality and all that just speaks about one thing. It speaks about God's heart for all of you women in this place. So I hope that encourages you because this gathering should be a symbol of God's care for you during this season in your life. And also, I have an amazing sweater on today. <laughs> um, so uh, today's going to be great. We're going to just run through some questions. And uh, I think afterward, we're going to have some time as well for maybe a question or two or five, however much time we have, that you guys might have as well. And so if there is something that you'd say, man, they didn't get to this, and I really would love to hear about that, please write it down, make a note in your phone, and, and we'll try to get to that. So uh, seven, was that on purpose, is the first question. <laughs> well, let me just, can I just first say, Ashley, thank you for all the work that you do that, that Aaron just described, and for the mentor moms that are here. Thank you for serving moms in a season. I, I remember that season. I remember the intensity of it. Uh, we're not always sure that we have the seven. Sometimes we lose one of them along the way. Uh, but just remembering what it was like, the frantic years that many of you guys are living in and, and for God to have a resource for you uh, is such a meaningful thing. I know it would, have, it would have been a meaningful thing for us to have had something like this. And so Thank you for doing that. Mentor moms, thank you for all the sacrifices uh, that you make. And thank you for asking us to wear these ridiculous outfits. Um, I'd hope one day to maybe sit on a panel and be called Dr. Collins. Instead, I'm Dr. Seuss. And, and this is thanks to you. Uh, seven. Um, I don't know how we would, we would explain that. We, we didn't have a philosophy that's... I come from a family of two kids. Uh, Gina doesn't come from a big family either. 
blended family. Uh, we weren't aiming at seven, but we we loved we loved having kids, and we we enjoyed. We had a, a bit of a vision for the value that God places on children, and I think that infected us a little bit with a sense that you know children are a blessing from the Lord, and we were convinced of that, and so that made us more open to. Not just saying, "Hey, that's it." You know, we've got two, and that's that's cool. Um, so I think that was probably the only thing that guided us. We didn't aim to have seven. Um, I think we just ran out of gas, and that's where we stopped. <laughs> um, and they're going to kind of be rotating their microphone back and forth, so they'll they'll both dive in when they think appropriate. The next hard one's yours. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also, feel free both to answer, obviously, on any question. Um, so, Gina, since you have the microphone, with seven kids. Some of the practicalities I think that all of us are probably conscious of as parents. How do you maintain the integrity of your home in manners of cleanliness, organization? Just some real simple, was there anything you did that was strategic or anything that was intentional that, that we might be able to, the ladies may be able to glean some insight from? Well, you know, um, those sort of ideas and values um, became instilled in me just at an, you know, the early part of my mothering journey. And of course it looks very different now than it did back then when we had, um, several little children or, you know, nursing infants and, or pregnant. And, um, but I think just valuing things that you just mentioned, being organized, um, having a level of cleanliness. I mean, you know, I, I, you can't, with little children, expect that there won't be crumbs or spills or messes, but having a sense of, um, you know, just a form of cleanliness, and maybe that would be practically just in my, my main living areas. For example, if you, if you walked in my house today, um, and of course we have much older children, but even then I think I, I, would, I would have striven to kept the living room and the kitchen area or the, the you know, if we were having guests or something, just try to keep that in an orderly fashion. Maybe the bedrooms were a complete disaster, but at least, um, you know, if we were showing hospitality or if we were just on a day-to-day basis, I felt like um, it served my family, it served me. I'm, I'm not a cluttery person. I don't do well in clutter, so I, I lean more towards organization. Um, even when the children were little, I found that organizing their toys actually made it more inviting for them. You know, at night when they'd go to bed, I'd go in their little area where there were books and toys and I would just organize that. So the next morning it was a bit of a, you know, a fresh experience (laughs) for them to find something that perhaps would have been hidden under a, a pile of, you know, toys or whatever. So that's, that's kind of a personality thing, but I, I do feel like there were different materials and things that I read as a, as a new mom that um, served to kind of set the tone of what the, our priorities would be in a home. And so, um, you know, being an organized person to the degree that you can with little children, I think really just serves you. It serves your husband. And um, I just think it serves the family. Yeah. You know. I love the idea of just main spaces. Uh, being clean, being I, think it's more, I think it's more manageable and doable than, I mean, I don't think with nine of us living in a home, my house is never completely clean from top to bottom at once. I mean, there's just, there's just no way to do that. But, you know, we, we do work hard. Parenting is hard. It's not a laid back posture at all. And so, um, 
for, as a matter of fact, I don't have infants and toddlers, but I, I clean every day. I'm just, I'm schooling, and while I'm teaching Drew, I'm cleaning. I mean, he could be walking home, and I'm just dry swiffering all over the house. Hi, honey. You know, it's just the way it's got to be, you know, so. That's great. The only win with clutter probably is the elf on the shelf is a little more difficult to find. How many of you hate elf on the shelf? Yeah. It's terrible. Have to hide. I mean, my oldest son does it every night now. Ashley and I have just given up on the whole project. So, um, how about uh, parenting styles? Okay, so I'm sure you guys can relate. The parenting styles can be very, very different in a household. A lot of times we look at parenting styles as being something that is divisive, or you do it this way, I do it that way, we need to send one message. But is there any good to be found in different parenting styles? And how have you seen God do some good work inside of your kids based on strengths that are very different than your strengths? How should we accept those things and how should we see that as valuable? Well, I think that we definitely have always been on the same page um, with, you know, the goal of parenting, things like establishing authority at a very early age, um, setting the tone of our home to be one of, um, you know, we just expect a, a sense of authority in the home. We feel like that's kind of God's order and God's design for parents in general. I mean, you know, everyone is under authority. Jesus said, you know, I too am a man under authority. Um, so we do have some different styles, though. Um, okay, if, as I was just thinking through the questions, um, I think on any given day, uh, Keith tends to be more merciful towards little, little things in the home that kind of can, you know, knock me up or make me irritated. But when there's a big thing, I'm far more merciful. <laughs> and he wants to blow them up, you know. And they're all coming to me. Even the boys, you know, they want to come to mom when, um, if there's been something big that's hit the fan and, you know, that hasn't really been all that much to talk about. But um, I just remember, you know, significant little things along the way where I was just like, it's going to be really okay. <laughs> Calm down, <laughs> you know. And, but on a day-to-day you know, he, he will help me by saying, okay, let's, let's not make that such a big issue. So that would be one thing. So do you have? Yeah, I think, you know, we definitely had some, have some good cop, bad cop tendencies, uh, in, in certain moments. Um, and I I think it's something to, to appreciate. One of the most obvious things about parenting together is that God has required and mandated that you not be the same because otherwise you, you couldn't produce children. Right? So it takes a male and it takes a female, and God designed it that way. And so there's intentional differences between us, and those differences transfer into personality and pace and level of intensity, communication skills. It's, but it's God's design. And so I, one of the things I think that has always been very important for us is that we're on the same page theologically, uh, but we're not always on the same page in the practical outworkings of that. And 
So we have something that we run back to and we, we draw from that we see life the same way. We have the same worldview. We're after the same things. But in any given moment, a dad and a mom have just some real differences in how they're going after that. Uh, and and, it, and this always hasn't been smooth. Uh, you know, my tendency is to reason my children to death. And so if they sit down with me. They're going to be worn out with words. Uh, and sometimes Gina's interpretation of the moment is just plant explosive charges and blow them up. Uh, and so sometimes she can't see value in what I'm doing. And then I can't see value in her and what she's doing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I still don't see value in what you're doing. But I have to appreciate the fact that we're different on purpose. God did that. And so I've got to make room for that intentionally. And, and she's got to make room for me intentionally and just respect the fact God has created a need for two different people to make unique contributions into, into children's lives. And you need to fall out of love with the idea that your way is the right way. Uh, your way is your way. And it's a necessary way. But it's half of the contribution that needs to be made. And your husband may be very, very different from you. His pace may be different. His intensity may be different. His insights may be different. But you need to stop in the moment and say, I need and my child needs what you have to say, even if I would not say that right now. You need to just make room for that. And, and so that's not always smooth. And it's easy to say that in this environment. But when you're pulling your hair out and it's intense and, you know, you're hoping that your spouse is going to remedy this and nobody's able to fix that situation. It feels like, you know, babe, whatever you just did is failing. So do what I ask you to do. And uh, it's failing for a bunch of reasons. And that's not exactly why probably. But so I do think you got to appreciate God made us different on purpose. And we need to make our own contributions and respect the, the contribution of the other. You know, when those, when those conflicts take place, <clears throat> I, it, just keep it in mind, women in the audience, maybe can, on behalf of a woman and a man who, like, receives things a particular way, like dudes basically have one button and you press it and we are the way we are. We're, we're not, it is like key words that probably set us off. Or Is there an approach you have found to be successful is there approaches that you have found to be favorable when conflict takes place? You know, she disagrees with how you're doing something. How do you approach your husband that could maybe help these ladies think about it differently? Because there's always a natural reaction and it usually is one that might cause too much force or pressure. And then could you say, man, you know, I've found through the years that when my wife approaches me in this kind of spirit or manner we find amicably an arrangement in terms of how we're going to move forward. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, I, I, I'm actually still working on that. <laughs> still trying to, you know, find ways that would, um, you know, not come across adversarial or, um, you know, I, I think a big part of that could be, you know, the timing of when I bring something to my husband. You know, sometimes if I see an exchange with a child, and like Keith said, you know, that is just not how I would handle that. And, you know, for example, one will go to Keith, and and he'll be like, I just do not want to go to dad with this. It's going to take two hours, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I want to I make that known to Keith. Or, um, you know, if it's, if it's school-related issues... Um, 
you know, I just am like, well, just help him, you know, and, and, and Keith is like, well, he's not going to learn if I do it for him. I said, I'm not saying do it for him, but just, you know, I'm just wanting it off of my to-do list. I want that, that need taken care of. Um, but that's, that's not always helpful, you know. Um, so I guess, I guess what I've grown to learn and am still learning is, um, you know, just the, the timing of it. Sometimes it doesn't need to be you know, communicated in that moment or in that instance. And I think we actually had one of those kind of exchanges this morning when I had to come to you about something with Seth, and it was just, um, you know, it wasn't an urgent thing. It was just kind of me bringing an observation. And, of course, in my mind was uh, hoping that you would hear um, just kind of the reason behind me bringing you that issue and, and... you know, and, and obviously the reason I'm bringing it to Keith is because I'm wanting him to perhaps address it in a different way, but it wasn't late at night, we weren't irritable, it wasn't, you know, right at the heated moment of when something needed to be addressed or taken care of, so I, I you know, I, I can't improve on scriptures, you know, just calling us to be slow, slow to anger, um, you know, everything doesn't have to be dealt with when it's sitting right here. You know, specifically when we, when we're you know wired as women, and there's just a lot of emotion. There's a lot of fatigue in the season of life that you ladies are in. So I, you know, I think just sleeping on it, and just you know, or just bringing um, it to your husband at a time when um, you're a little bit more settled on the inside. So, um, I'm trying to think. You, you guys are here because you're you've got little ones and. So that season of parenting, I think for for me, probably more than Gina, but I think for both of us in some ways, when you are on the younger end of anything, uh, you know, the Bible uses a, a polite word, but but it doesn't sound like a polite word. It describes a, a naiveness. You know, the Proverbs are speaking to the naive, to those who haven't done life in, in enough settings to get educated by realities. So uh, where we were with younger kids, uh, you know, we, we read a lot of books because we wanted to grow and understand how to do this. But when you're young and you grab knowledge, what you end up doing with it is, is thinking you know more than you really know. And because you don't know how big the playing field is yet. And so you've figured, you've filled up your little space and now you're sure you've got everything figured out. And so, I mean, I'm looking at Liz over here. <laughs> Poor Liz had to deal with me at this point as a youth pastor. And, um, you know, she, they're parenting kids and I've got all the answers, you know, because I've got a, a two-year-old and a, and a less than one-year-old and I've read books. So I've, and I'm a youth pastor. And so I've figured all this out, but that bleeds over into your relationship with each other too, right? So you've got some knowledge in your head that you're convinced you know what's right. Um, and 10 years from now, you're going to have learned a lot more and you're going to be all the more convinced you don't know what the heck you're talking about. And so now we're 27 years almost in marriage and I am more convinced. I know less now than I've ever known uh, because the, the playing field has gotten bigger. So I used to think it was this big, but now I know it's this big. So I don't have these absolutes sitting in me for everything as a parent that if you just press these two buttons back to back, you'll fix that child forever. You know, when you stop doing that, you kind of give room for each other to actually have valid input. And so when Gina said we're still learning that, we're still learning that in a huge way uh, because I'm realizing I don't have a, a set of absolutes that always work. 
maybe what you're saying is really what needs to happen. And I really need to hear that, even though it's not my instinct to agree with it. And so I, I do think it, it just takes some time. It takes some humility to recognize some things that you, you, you feel like you know everything, but you really don't. And it's just going to take some time to, to convince you of that. Yeah, um, that's good. Uh, while you have the mic, could you, a lot of times we get focused so much on the day-to-day operations, get them in bed, wake them up, give them a bottle, and it's overwhelming. Can you talk a little bit from a biblical perspective? What would be the vision or the mission that these moms could have like, yeah, but 30 years from now. No, that seems like so unrealistic to think like that. But at the end of the day, like there's a mission we're on as parents, right? And God has installed that mission. And he has thoughts about why humans should raise other humans in a particular fashion. And so it would be helpful maybe to gain some insight, like what does God think about parenting? And when we're freaking out, what's the grace that we can maybe fall on and say, but God... I know that your design is or your intention is, and let me keep that at the center of this season in my life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think everybody needs a paradigm that's real easy to hold on to that just instructs us on our way through life. Again, you know, to, to me, this is not just because I'm a pastor, but I think for every Christian, life begins theologically, right? So God has an explanation and a reason for everything that exists. So when the Bible says all things exist for the glory of God, that's a loaded statement and it's a very important one. So my children exist for the glory of God, their lives, their affections, their goals, their talents, they exist for the glory of God. And if I I don't have that framework in mind, uh, all those things become self-existent. You know, my kids are sports into sports or they've got musical talents or whatever it is. That becomes all about that child then. And, and once that happens, you really have invented an idol that lives in your home with you now and that thing's off the leash and you're driven by it. You're dragged around by it. Your life depends on it. Your kid's got to be the best ball player. He's got to be the best talent because you've disconnected all that stuff from why does anything exist? And so in some way, when all things exist, for the glory of God, it, it, it takes some pressure off of things and it lets them sit in their right context. And so I, I think, you know, your home and your goals for your kids and all that's got to be informed by something theological. So if you've never thought through, you know, what's my worldview, what's my theology that guides me through life, then parenting is an onerous task. It's a, it's a horrible experience because you put so much weight on who your kids are going to be and, and what life is going to be and who you're going to be, et cetera, that, that it'll crush you uh, because you don't really have the right thing in mind long term. So in some ways that, that takes some pressure off and it lets your role in their life just, just take on the right purpose in their life. And then you realize there's some things that I can't do. There are things ultimately, my kids' hearts ultimately are not about just being behaviorally conformed to Christian principles. There's an exposure to their heart that I'm after, ultimately. I'm not just after, can I get this child to do the right thing? Uh, I'm after them having an affection and a heart for the glory of God. And that's a very different thing to chase after than just, can I bring the right amount of pressure, manipulation, guilt, punishment, whatever cocktail I create to to do that, to get them to stay in bounds in their behavior. 
that's very different than, is there heart toward God? And also, is there heart toward me? And so I think that's the other thing I think we've aimed at. You know, do we, do we still have our kids' hearts? Uh, not just can we get them to do what we want them to do, but, but are they inclined toward us? Or have they kind of folded their arms, shut us out, and they're not really wanting our engagement? So I think we're fighting for the glory of God principle, and then as parents, we're fighting to to have access to their hearts. And you know, have I crushed their spirit by how I've dealt with them in such a way that eventually they're going to close up and insulate themselves from me over time if I keep doing this this way? And you kind of need each other to do that because you you don't know that. You know, boy, the the way you're responding to that child. I mean, we've had children that the only spanking you had to give was just we had spoons and we would take them out. And there was one that all we had to do is just touch her with it, touch her. And that was it. That was a spanking for her. Just touch her. And she was. And we, and we had a son that if I spoke to him with anything more than a sincere, caring tone of voice, you could watch his body language. It crushed him, but he had a brother that if I didn't hit him with wood in the head, <laughs> like a baseball bat swing, he didn't notice I was interacting with him. So you just, you didn't want to use the wrong technique on the wrong kid. And you need each other to do that. You kind of, you know, need the other parent to say, ooh, ooh, honey, that's that. You almost killed him with that. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't notice. Uh, so I think guiding principles are important. Yeah. The glory of God is why we aim our kids at anything and, and retaining their hearts toward us, I think are pretty important elements. Yeah, that's great. Um, we'll go into some of that day-to-day operations. I know you guys are very supportive as well um, with your kids. I think about music in particular, kind of finding, and maybe we can say it like this, it's not just what kids want to do, but finding maybe what God has gifted them to do. And that's, you know, my kids want to play nine sports, but if they're terrible at all of them, I'd be a good parent to maybe help guide them through the process. Um, you know, have you, have you thought a little bit about that, how you've tried to foster some of what God maybe has given them as a gift, such as a musical instrument? And then any thoughts on that? And then secondly, how do you carve out time and how should you prioritize because it never stops, right? There's usually, it just never stops. And as another kid gets older, another thing is added. So if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, um, you know, we had two daughters and then two boys and then the, you know, the uh, Grace and then the other two boys. And I do remember the season with the first four. Um, well, we always thought that since we were a homeschool family that, um, you know, having the time to pursue a a musical instrument um, would just be a worthy, you know, discipline in their lives. And so that's exactly how we viewed it. We viewed it as part of their school day, part of their, um, their training, um, going to the lessons and just exposing that to them. So, you know, really all of our children have been exposed to some level of, of, um, musicality and, um, and, but it didn't all sit in them the same way. And then we moved into the season where we had the two boys that played sports and, and, and even the girls. 
And so we were in Destrehan at the time, and it, it was, it was, we very seldom were at an event together. I mean, you know, he, you know, we were like ships passing in the night. He would be with at one game, and then I would be with, you know, at the other. And then you have to filter, and then Grace just wanted to do it all. She wanted to do gymnastic, horseback riding, violin, um, just, you know, just very overly ambitious. And so I think that, you know, as we were beginning that journey, you, you want to expose your children to things. You don't know what will land in their lives and actually be what God has destined them to, you know, to be in the future. Um, but, you know, I, since for the younger three, you know, I have a daughter who's very musical and then I have these two little boys. And I just have to be honest with, you know, Keith's level of, availability for the whole sports thing. And I guess since they were kind of landing in my lap, <laughs> I, I just introduced them to the arena of music. Be, not, n- nothing against sports at all. There's so much to be learned. And, and we did that for many years. Um, but I guess, you know, the older that we get and as many children as we had, I, I felt like it was a greater priority for our time to be aiming them at something that they really might genuinely taken to the future with them. That's nothing against sports at all, but I, I didn't discern our two younger boys being these fanatically overly gifted sports kids. And so consequently one plays cello and one plays viola. And for whatever reason, it, it, it really has suited them well, but I think it was a time management thing. Um, I think it was, um, I'm, I'm really hoping and trusting that the Lord led me. I mean, I, I can't, I can't really know what, what, what made me decide to put a violin in Grace's, you know, hand when she was four years old. And um, back to part of the question that says, how do, you, how do you manage that? It, um, as with anything that you see your child take interest in, it, it really does come with a great deal of sacrifice. I mean, um, there's just. A lot of time spent with driving to lessons, sitting in the lessons, paying for those lessons, making myself available um, to them. But, you know, I guess when you have children, you, you're, if your heart is toward helping them find out what is God placed in them and what do I see them having a predisposition disposition toward, um, that's just how it's kind of happened. Does that help? Does yeah, that that's answer? great. That's great. Um, can I, do you want to, no, oh, great. me, you, no, me, you, um, so, uh, relationships with siblings, um, I think like 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning often, it's like all out war between some of my boys, and, uh, when I talk with them personally, it's typically around, like if I take them out, we grab a cup of coffee, minus the coffee for them, you know, um, it's like, Hey, what's going on? What's wrong? How can I help? It usually ends up my brother, my sister, and this is the problem. And so that is like a dominant theme. I think among siblings, is there anything you can, uh, you know, give us hope in any way in regards to like managing sibling rivalries or creating peace, self-control, patience with one another, like how do we teach that stuff? How do we install that stuff? And when it doesn't work in the next 12 months, how do we do it again and do it again and do it again? And does it ever stop? And, you know, you get it, all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I still hate my brother. <laughs> no, that's not true. Belinda, it's good to hear, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, how to answer that? 
you know, I, I think one of the things that is, is a very important part of, of parenting is, is identifying, you know, what are your children made of? What's going on inside of them? What motivates them? Why do they do what they do? Uh, they won't figure that out for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, uh, when I saw your theme this year, Free Indeed, uh, I almost even offered to come do a session on personal freedom from yourself because I, I, you know, I do a lot of pastoral counseling and I find most people are having troubles in their life not for the reasons they think they're having troubles in their life. They think their troubles are coming from outside of them. They're, most of their troubles are coming from inside of them. They're just trying to figure out how to stop those people from interacting with that. And so sibling issues quite often are that issue. They're people who have front row seats to irritating what's going on inside of me. And sometimes you just kind of, you kind of can't fix that as much as you help manage it. And part of managing, I think, is beginning to educate your kids about what is going on inside of them. And so, you know, conversations about external behaviors at some time need to find their way back to. So why do you think you're doing that? The why is the best question you're asking your children, not what did you do? I know you walk into a room and there's somebody's crying. All right. What did you do? After you get past figuring out who used the knife on who, uh, you want to ask, why did you do that? Uh, and not like irritated, why did you do that? Don't you know you're breaking a rule? And you're trying to help them figure out what motivates you to do the things that you do. And so I think you're always trying to expose them to their insides. And, and I think an obligation we have as parents is to learn them in some ways. Uh, you know, when the Bible says, this is a very twisted Bible verse, but, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That training is, is more of a word that you would use if you guys are into horticulture. It's more what you would do with a vine to get it to grow around a post or something like that. It, it's more about taking the, the inclination of a child and, tr- and bending it in a particular direction but you've got to learn the inclination of that child a bit to figure out how to bend that. And so I think part of sibling rivalries that's taking place is getting inside. Why does that particular child irritate that particular child the way he does? Well, it's because that one over there has got an agenda and he wants something and that child doesn't cooperate with it. And so is you got one child who's a control freak? Is that what it is? And this one over here? Won't go along with that. Now, we've got some control freaks in the house, and we've got some very compliant children in the house. And so when they mix together, everything works out. There's not a lot of explosions and noise, but you get two control freaks in the same room, and it's a, it's a war. It's a struggle. Uh, and so, But I think you're, you know, it's much more than just managing the rivalry. Is, you know, you're helping them see what's on the inside so that as they go and do life, they, they kind of learn themselves. They're bringing that into that relationship struggle. So I will say, then I'm going to hand this to Gina. Um, One thing that that you just, you can't speed up and you can't make it happen is this thing called maturity. Uh, It's just a function of time. And so you're going to find some of your, later on in your life, your children are going to mature in some ways that are going to make you think you're a great parent. You know, so suddenly they're all, this stuff is catching. So what you've always wanted them to be and do, suddenly they're becoming that. And you're going to think, see, yeah, where to go, honey, you and I. Uh, 
And it's, if you have enough kids, you'll figure out, no, they're just maturing. And they're settling down on the inside, and the complications are becoming figured out inside of them. And so they're not responding to life the same way. And it was nice of you to, you know, give some effort in that category throughout these years. But a great deal of what they're having is maturity, and, and you're not going to fast forward that. You know, at 12 years old, they're going to need to be 17 before that kicks in, and you're just going to have to wait and manage the damage along the way. <laughs> well, just thinking back to when they were all stair steps and, and interacting, you know, on a daily basis a lot more than they are now, um, I, I do remember just the heartache of um, your children, you know, certain ones just not liking each other. And just that's, that's, that's a sad thing, and it's a hard thing as a mom. But I think, just to kind of repeat what Keith said, I think what, what I uh, really tried to do was um, listen to both sides separately and make my heart... Uh, you know, eager and leaning in to hearing what both, you know, the offender and the offended, um, you know, taking time with the, with the one that I knew that just stirred up. I, I mean, you know, just you stir up trouble, you know, um, and, and helping that child to, like Keith said, you know, Keith was, is a, just a good question asker. And, um, but taking the time to listen to that child that you, you really would have the, the um, temptation to be, you know, really irritated with and guarding your heart against that. And then the one that has, seems to live offended by that, you know, that sibling, just giving your ear to that girl or that boy. And, and, um, and that's been our experience. And I can promise you um, on the other, and it's not that we, you know, they all still seven live at home four in college, locally here, um, you know, four boys in one room, <laughs> um, then the girls on the other side. So there's a lot of opportunity for sanctification over on that side of the house. Um, but I mean, I almost remember the, a time when it was like this imaginary trip line had, everybody had crossed over and I, I couldn't believe seeing with my own eyes that, the maturity had taken place and that there was closeness of relationship and that they pursued each other. And now, I mean, you know, and they've always kind of been the type of kids that they'll take, you know, they might to your face kind of really irritate you, but boy, they have your back. You know, they will really uh, take up for you and care for you. But, but the, the older four, I mean, they call themselves the fantastic four. So, you know, every holiday, the three little ones aren't included in a picture, you know, (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, you know, but, but they, there are, there's a, just a level of relationship that in those days, I really wondered like, oh my gosh, are they going to ever really love each other and seek each other out? And so, um, I mean, I, I just, if I can say one thing to help stir up any sense of, you know, hope or joy that has maybe settled in the bottom of your hearts is it, it is what the Lord does. It is what the spirit of God is always doing, but I cannot emphasize enough that it is that and maturity. I think we want so much so soon and we want to see fruit so quickly, but you know, I was even reminded praying for you guys this week that, you know, James talks about, look at the farmer who waits patiently for the precious fruit you know, you too be patient. So, you know, I just, we can't rescue you from just 
what God is doing in his perfect timing. But I think if I could rescue you from anything, it's just having too high of an expectations for what you want for your family, especially in the season that you're in. You know, it will come. I, I promise you, if you devote yourself to your children and, and to what, you know, the Lord has called you to do, you, you are going to experience fruitfulness beyond your wildest imaginations. I promise you. I never thought sitting in the seats that you guys are sitting in today that I, that, you know, in those moments when they're one's crying and one's angry and you just are appealing over and over again. And it doesn't seem to be any leeway in their lives that, that we would be sitting here today, even driving here as we're praying together for you guys, just thinking, wow, how many times did we drive to Lakeview with feuding kids in the back? And when you get home, I'm going to tear you up, <laughs> you know? And I mean, you know, God has been faithful to us and we haven't always had the answer, but, but, you know, God will be faithful to you. And so I, I'm really hoping, and we've prayed for you that fresh faith would be stirred up in your souls today, that, that God is going to cause, cause a great deal of fruitfulness in your lives and your marriages and in the lives of your children. So that's cool. That's encouraging, huh? That's good. I appreciate that. Ashley, you gave me a schedule. What time do we have till? I, it's not that I didn't read it. I just wasn't listening when I read it. Oh, wow. Whatever I want. Is that forever in every area? Just right now. Okay, good. Um, thank y'all. That, that's good stuff. That encourages me. How about uh, it's easy to live in guilt when our kids aren't turning out the way we want them to turn out because there's an automatic question, I think, that says, what am I doing wrong? Where am I missing it? It's, oh, I'm getting in the way. I'm so angry. I yell all the time. I always ignore. I don't look at them. I have my head in my phone. You know what I mean? There's a ton of guilty statements that we can offer. Um, and, I, and sometimes I think it's, we can maybe find it in things like, I don't spend enough time with my kids. And so there's this possession factor that I think we equate to if I possess them enough, like if I'm with them enough, if I install enough, if I teach them enough, then, right? Um, can you alleviate us of some of that guilt by control? You know, seven kids, I think to myself, it's impossible with four. I can't imagine seven. I, I also would think you're not walking around thinking the weight of the world is on your shoulders if you don't get with them once a week, every one of them, one hour conversation. Hey, 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 I love you, I love you, I love you, right? And so there's a lot of guilt, I would assume, at least for me, like, man, there's not enough time in the day. And I wish I could give my kids more, but I can't. And I don't, you know, I don't want to have another child, though you really may want to have another child, but I don't want to have another child because then I'll ignore that kid too. Can you maybe give us the grace of God and how he's raising our kids and maybe remove us a little bit from the center of if my time is not invested. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, you know, I, I think one of the things, and you guys have to figure out your own generation here. Um, I mean, we were around you pastorally and relating to you. I think Gina and I were coming into parenting when there were three books available on parenting. Uh, and then over the next 10 years, there were 60 books available on parenting. And then you guys have blogs growing out of your ears on parenting. Uh, so I, I think what's happened, though, quite honestly, for us, there was, there was a lot of fresh information to pursue. 
and the danger of that information is it is it instills in you a, a sense of all that you must do. And this is true in, in, in marriage as well. So once you get this idea that there are things that you have to do, there are responsibilities that you have, well, the more that is in you, uh, the more you're aware of what you're not doing. And, and what you forget about is, you know, you live in a fallen world. You know, your, your kids are going to sin without you teaching them how to sin. They inherited something from Adam that they didn't have to get from you. So you didn't have to impart anger to them. I don't know if y'all had an anger class yet for your kids. And you sat down and said, you know what? We're going to need to teach you how to be angry. Uh, They pretty much do that on their own. So there's a lot about their life that you would be biblically wrong to take responsibility for. But the Bible does call us to be responsible. So there are things that we are called to do. And when we're reading and overreading, sometimes you can overinstall some of that stuff. I would be concerned that for you guys, you have so much information that you may be swinging the pendulum in the other direction. You know, the, the danger of not having enough information, it gets supplanted differently by having too much of it. You can ignore the information because it's just a lot of noise. And so I don't know for your generation yet whether or not you guys are over detailing everything. The, you know, our generation started to over detail and the people that came right after us everything had a formula to it. You know, everybody, you know, by the way, date nights, that terminology didn't exist when, when, uh, uh, what's your name again? Widener. Uh, when Liz and, and Phil were, were hanging out young, there were no date nights, but when we started to, you know, have kids, there was this thing called date night. And so you were a miserable husband and wife. If you weren't having a date night, uh, that came later. You guys are living in some of that stuff. So it, how you manage your ideas, I think, makes you set up your own expectations of what you're responsible for and what you're not. And uh, we were very intentional, and that can breed in you a sense of if we don't do the right thing, they have no future and they have no hope. And then next thing you know, when you see things going wrong in their lives, your default can be, what did we not do? What did we not say? Did we not correct that sufficiently or correctly? Was it that we weren't around enough? We didn't make enough time for them. Um, so you've got all those factors. I don't know if that's what you guys traffic in. And just because you hear other people say that, don't assume that that's really what you're doing. Because you are a generation that's paying attention to a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff beyond your children that are getting your attention. So part of me wants to say, Make sure you pay attention to your children. Make sure you're intentional about them. Make sure you are saying no to other things at a greater level than we had to say no to because you have twice as many options in your life today than we had when our kids were little. So you probably have to say no to a lot more of life than we did. But at the same time, you are dependent as much as any of us have been on the grace of God to bring an effect into a child's heart uh, it's not just their externals. It's, it's a new birth that you're after. It's something that grace has to do and God has to do it. And, and, and we had to sort through over-intentionality for us meant analyzing our failure often. So I had to go to the scriptures and find out, you know, the first parent who failed, you know who the first parent who, quote, failed was? It was Adam and Eve's parent. Right? Nobody made a worse choice in the Bible than Adam and Eve did. And... They had perfect parents and a perfect environment. So that, you know, again, theologically, that educates you that if you could create the perfect home and you could be the perfect parent, 
you could still raise an Adam and an Eve who have children who kill each other. You know about sibling rivalries. Remember Cain and Abel? That's a really bad sibling rivalry, right? They raised children. That, you know, God's grandchildren killed each other. Right? So you, I think theologically you have to be careful that you're not expecting something that you cannot achieve. You cannot achieve that. But what can you do? We'll do that and be at peace when trusting God. So I, I think that's just a, you know reasonable expectations, but do have some expectations, by the way. That's not a bad thing. I don't know if you had some. Um, I just wanted to say that I do remember having uh, the four children and then Grace, our fifth, was an infant, and just going through a really, really difficult season of feeling crushed, feeling, you know, waking up every morning feeling with a sense of, um, how can I keep me from, you know, sinning against my children? And it was just, and Keith was actually doing a series. This is way back at, at the old building on um, being in a crucible and kind of the heat being turned up and, and the Lord just kind of removing the dross of our lives. And, but I, I just went through a, a, a season where I just was, I cried all the time. It was just an overwhelming sense of me coming face to face with me and my, my limitations and my inability to, to respond lovingly at every turn, to have the energy to, um, and, and you, do you know, um, I tell you, this just, the Lord reminded me of just the richness of, and the history of relationships that we have, because I remember uh, talking on the phone to Bill Treby, sitting on the floor in Grace's room. She was probably about three months old. And, you know, him just praying for me. And I, I, I can't say that something miraculously happened and I, I never had a short word or I never, you know, was, didn't have self-control in those moments. But, but you know, parenting is a major tool that God uses in our lives. And it's been the most significant thing in my life to, um, to show me my depravity and how much I need a savior. Um, and I had been saved since a child. And here I was on my fifth child feeling like, Oh God, I need a savior. I need somebody to save me from me. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I remember in those, in those days and in those years, um, turning to the Lord and, and asking him to help me. And again, it, you know, it's, it's not something that I immediately um, became uh, the perfect mom. But um, I think that the Lord used that season of life to, to inform me that, you know what, his, his grace um, is available. And what it taught me to do with my children was apologize and you know, sometimes we feel like we have to be the parent that is the example and sets the standard and, and is the gospel on display in human form. Well, not exactly. I think that God teaches us humility in relating to our children. And, you know, I, it was just a lot of years of me having to approach my children and say, I am sorry, will you forgive me? And I remember one time, Sophie is the oldest, um, you know, she was about 10 at the time. And with so many little ones, there was just a great deal of responsibility that fell on her. And we were in her room, you know, changing the linens in her room. And, and just, I just said, Sophie, you know, mom's really sorry for how short I've been, or I don't, I don't know if it was something specific, but I just remember her coming over to me from the other side of the room and hugging me and, and saying, Mom, you're so humble. Of course I forgive you. You know, And the truth is, I, I was not all that humble. But you know, for a 10-year-old, 
Um, and for the others, I think that, you know, we might do the wrong things, and obviously we will. But there is so much that can be imparted to our children when we take responsibility and we make it right by humbling ourselves, you know. So that's what I remember about that season. <laughs> Love that. That's great. Um, <clears throat> so I want to set the, set the stage just by saying, like, my mom is over there. I'm 35 years old. I have four kids. And you know who I don't call on a daily basis for advice about life? It's my mom. And that's not like to insult, but the truth is once our kids get older, you know who they're not going to call every single day? You. They better. Yeah, there you go. Um, And I guess with that in mind, like remember, and it's coming to a question, but I guess remember that one day all of our kids, they're not going to be very dependent upon us, but they will be dependent on someone. And that someone I would say would be the Holy Spirit leading them as the true like parent of their lives, if you will, the, the father of their life. Um, and what we all want, I think, is, man, what would it take for our kids one day to follow after the Holy Spirit, to hear his voice, to find a woman or a man who loves him with all of their heart? Like, I want them to find their vocation, be happy in life, love God with everything they are. And so here's the question. With all that heaviness, how can we now as young parents help maybe remove ourselves a little bit from the parenting relationship so that we can introduce the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? So you have a kid who's three or nine or 15, and how can we, even as a toddler right now, as Abby's holding this baby like, or an infant, like, how do we introduce the Holy Spirit the permanent parents of their lives to our sons, to our daughters, in hopes that one day they will walk with them in counsel, advice, and wisdom, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit will walk with our children as they graduate from our lives, which for us may be 15, 20 years away, but it's so important. This question is so important, I think, right now, because it's what we do every day. Um, the, the, the thing that comes to mind, and I'm hoping that Keith can expound on this, but I would say in the season of of toddlers, I would say that the way that you're introducing them to Jesus um, primarily comes from training them, you know, training them to obey. I mean, obviously reading to them and bringing them to church and praying with them and for for them. But a, a major part of having a child, I think, respond to authority and respond and to kind of lean in and want to learn from you is establishing authority in the home. And when they're toddlers, that's pri- they're introduced to Jesus through you and through how you are training them to, to obey. And, you know, a child that is, who won't listen to you, I, you know, will be hard pressed to kind of respond to the Lord. I think we're the door that inter- introduces them to the Lord through, through kind of training them to listen to us so that, you know, we can share the gospel further with them. What would you say to this season? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the, uh, yeah, I think you're preparing your kids at this age to have the more subjective interaction that will come one day. Um, I, you know, I, I think at some point children need to be taught to look away from themselves, to look outside of themselves, and to be accountable to something outside themselves. So that's a principle, if you will, if you instill that first. I don't think you can 
teach a child to look inward because, you know, if you're born again by the Holy Spirit, you're indwelt by God, there's an inwardness of the voice of God that we need to learn as, as adults. But for a child, um, you know, the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it from him. So there's this responsibility that we have to recognize um, you know, we live in an, an age of empowerment, but you know, if, if you empower a child very early in their life, you're ignoring the fact the Bible just told you that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. So if you feel obligated to let your children be self-expressive and, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what you're expecting from them, but foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So if you let them be self-expressive, they're going to be foolish. And they're going to chase after foolish things. And there is an appropriateness at some point in their life to begin to transfer back to them that sense of ownership in their life. But where you guys are early on, uh, they, need to, they need to learn to look outside themselves. They need to learn boundaries in their lives. That, because foolishness will make, will make demands on everyone all the time. And you won't learn to hear God from that posture. That's a horrible posture, right? God looks for the humble in heart, those who have, have learned to find their place, to let, you know, I almost wanted to make this the, the slogan for our church. Uh, I'm not sure the elders were crazy about the idea, but I, I wanted to put, you know, Lakeview Christian Center, come let God put you in your place. Uh, <laughs> Because that's one of the hardest things in the world is for us to be creatures dependent and humble before our, our God. And if you don't have that posture, I think your interaction with the Holy Spirit, you'll never know the difference between your loud inner selfish voice and the Holy Spirit who's speaking to you internally. So I think right now as your kids are little, you're training them to learn how to sit still. Be still and know that I am God. Be, you know, be still and don't have your own agenda. Be still and don't get your own way. I mean, I, and, I, and I would suggest you do this. I mean, we, you know, there were moments when our kids were little that we just made them sit still for the sake of them learning to sit still. You know, it's like they weren't punished, but it was like, well, go over there and sit in that chair for a little bit. Like, 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 yeah, like what, you know, my punish? No, no, I just think it'd be good for you to sit still for a little bit. Just go sit down over there. And then so, you know, can I get up now? No, not yet. I mean, there was no reason for it. It was just, I just know inside of you is, I just went around the room, went around the room and do my own thing. And it's like, no, I just want you to learn that you don't always get to do your own thing. You get to do my thing. And uh, so I think you're instilling that in a way that one day, you know, if they don't see God as their God, you know, he's not their buddy. He's not their pal. He's not, he's not a Santa Claus. He's not a sugar daddy. He's their God, and they've got to learn how to be humble before him. Otherwise, you're not going to hear the Holy Spirit. What that, that inner voice you think you're hearing, it's that out-of-control voice you've always heard. It's you, and it's telling me, oh, and you ever had your kids, you know, when your kids start figuring out that you want them to listen for God, they'll start telling you God said stuff to them, you know, and it's like, I really think God wants me to do this. Um, well, you know, I don't think you know the difference between God and you, and that's a legitimate issue for them. So I think training them to one day interact with the Holy Spirit when they're a little bit more aware of who the Holy Spirit is is pretty important. But if you if you don't accomplish that, you're going to get you know you get charismatic craziness from them later on. Holy Spirit's telling them all kinds of things, and they never learn how to dial back their own voice. And so that's probably what I'd say. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, hey.
Well, I just, I'm going to go ahead and trump you. You told me I could do whatever I want. Is that okay? All right, well, hey, um, thank y'all. Appreciate it. Uh, let me just say, you know, to have, this is good, you know, maybe write some of these things down because to have children all the way up to 24 and 9 is, is the youngest, 10. And uh, I get to work with one of your, your oldest son. And, and if you followed the path of their life, they have an integrity about the way they parent, just from my brief observation. And so a lot of these things are not just their styles or particulars. This is God's way of thinking, which is kind of, I think, the value that they're adding. Um, so thank you all very much. I appreciate it. This has been very valuable for me as well. And I think Ashley wants to give me a gift. Yeah? 